you, you can't assume that the chat bot is, is fixing your writing. So I think people just need to really understand what they're doing when they're deciding to use a large language model for writing advice. Welcome to the show. This is the Bot Brothers AI for Educators. I'm Mike Pearson. I'm Pat Burns. Today we have Jane Rosenzweig, uh, who is the director of the Harvard College Writing Center and teaches uh, writing and editing courses at Harvard and the Harvard Extension School. She has multiple degrees, uh, a BA, an MLit from Oxford, she's got a degree from Yale, and the always illustrious MFA in fiction writing from the University of Iowa Writers' Workshop, which, if you don't know, is the Writers' Workshop in the United States. That it seems like everyone who is er, anyone has come out of there. The staff editor at Atlantic Monthly, you've got stuff published everywhere. Um, we are super excited. Um, not only you're an uh, educator, um, like us, but you're also a writer and you are uh, just like us embroiled in the world of AI and, and trying to figure stuff out. So welcome to the show, Jane. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. Um, we want to jump right into asking you about your experience with large language models, chat GPT, BARD um, at, in, at, at the university level. What, what, what has been happening in your world? So a lot has been happening in my world. Uh, my my own experience with the the large language models goes back to before December 2022, or before I guess it was late November when ChatGPT mm -hmm. was released. I had already been kind of experimenting in the GPT playground for about a year at that point. A, a writing tutor at the writing center had said to me one day. Jane, you have to see this thing. Oh, and right. I went and looked at it and I thought, oh goodness, maybe things are going to change. And <laughs> so I started uh, trying to figure out what was going on there um, and had probably the, the least lucky uh, publication in my life. I had written an op-ed that was published in the Boston Globe one week before ChatGPT was released that was all about what's going to happen if eventually ever large language models take off and, and they start doing the writing. So that kind of, um, wow. because I had that out there, I suddenly found myself in right in this discussion, which yeah. I have now stayed in for the for the past the past year, which has been very interesting. Uh, but most recently, I taught a, a first year writing course about ChatGPT this semester. It was called "To What Problem Is ChatGPT the Solution?" Oh, that um, was we, you. We I, don't have I, an answer. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so that's the, so I'm just finishing with that. So I have a lot of thoughts based on that. Um, and but in terms of what you know, I guess you asked what what I'm seeing, and what I'm seeing is just an an explosion of discussion. I don't, I don't think anybody has all the answers at this point, but I think people are beginning to know what the questions are, which is uh, maybe progress from a year ago. What what would do you do? You, could you maybe? talk about some of those questions or what are some of those questions that you think people are starting to ask? Well, I mean, I th so right, right when these, uh, when ChatGPT came out, uh, I think the questions were, were quite broad, like is writing over? What are we going to do? You know, what does this yeah. mean? And I think what I've seen over the course of the year is that uh, as people have learned what what this technology actually is, what it does, and what some of the concerns are about it, I guess the discussion's gotten a lot more specific, right? So more like not, are we going to use these ever in education, which was, I think, the question about a year ago, you know, yeah. what what's going to happen to really, you know, what are these good for? And what, what can we 
what can we do effectively and also you know what what can't we do or what shouldn't we do depending on the context that you're in one interesting thing so the class that i was teaching was about the large language models and and ai but we didn't the students didn't use it to write their papers they used it to learn about it they experimented with chat gpt and with claude and with some other models right. but they did the writing themselves and at the end of the semester i had kind of an exit interview with each of my students and I asked them you know what what do you think about these you know about ChatGPT now how do you feel about using it and they were really split you know some of them said I never want to use it now mm -hmm. and others said actually I feel kind of better about using it I I see myself using it more but what what they had in common was their reasoning which in in pretty much every case was now that I understand how these things work I feel more confident about what I think I I could do with them and what I think I shouldn't do with them. So I guess if you, you asked me at the beginning sort of what I'm seeing, what, what I'm thinking at this point, even more than I was in September when I started this class, is that what's going to be crucial for all of us is that our students don't just learn how to use these things, but they learn about them. And that was kind of my experience of spending the whole semester not saying, I want you to learn how to prompt engineer, although we talked about that in various contexts, right. but saying, let's try to figure out, you know, what who gains and who loses with this technology and how does it work and what what happens when you put a when you prompt it what's really going on inside mm -hmm. under the hood and those were the questions that that I think made a real difference to my students well can I can I maybe ask a follow-up to that thing because there was a um you you have a, a I guess you would call it a, maybe a blog site if you will the, the writing hacks site right is that would you call that blog site or is a writing site uh it's a, a Substack newsletter Oh, subsegment. Okay, thank you. Uh, well, on there, you, you'd made a point. You'd said uh, that writing hacks, I'm just going to quote it. it, says, writing hacks is for you if you have to write at work and you'd like to be able to do it more effectively and efficiently. Writing hacks is for you if you've ever been told that your writing shouldn't be clear or that you should get to the point or that your ideas need to be more organized or that you need to write faster, more carefully, better. I, I guess my question or follow-up to, to uh, what you just said about your, your courses is taking that kind of uh, ethos into account. How do you see maybe um, AI helping or hindering uh, what you seek or, or, or helping or hindering your students? Uh, if, if, if the point of, say, at least on your, on your Substack site, your newsletter, you want people to write faster, more carefully, obviously ChatGPT can do that in some respects, but you don't want it to take over their writing either. You don't want it to be their writing right. uh, or be a substitute for it. So what, how do you maybe respond to something like that? So I think I, I should make a distinction. So my substack is really writing advice for people in the workplace. So you're mm -hmm. writing for, you know, a business email, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And that was, it was born out of my, my sense that people often after college don't learn things about writing and people in my life are always asking me for advice about writing. And one of the things that I, that I had in mind when I started that it started as a pandemic project was mm -hmm. basically to try people, people are often told in the work place, right? This isn't clear. This is awkward. This is vague, but they never know what that means. And so my, my newsletter goal was much more to kind of help people figure out really sort of the, a language for common problems with writing. But what I teach my students is very different because first year writing at the college level is really a course in critical thinking. Mm -hmm. And so what we're doing in, in our academic course is 
when when and I did see this, you know, I see it every semester. I saw it this semester when we were writing about ChatGPT that that what we're really trying to do is figure out what we think about something. So I and and writing is not the only way to do that, but it's proven over many years to be yeah. a very effective way. You know, your English teachers. Um, but but in the it, it, I do think it's sort of what I what I say in the in the writing hacks newsletter about page is a very specific thing that is not exactly what I'm talking about with my students. Having said that, I think um, in in all contexts, so both for my students and the same advice that I would give people who read my newsletter, I don't think that it's at least at this point very effective to outsource your writing to Chat GPT if you don't know enough about good clear writing to know what to know how to judge what you're getting back so for my students i would say there are many other reasons not to do it because this is the time to learn this is the time to work through ideas to figure out what you think to learn the steps of a thought process and so i have a lot of concerns about just outsourcing that process. But even at, at various steps, if college students are choosing to say, put something into a, a chat bot and ask for feedback on it, if you don't already know what a good piece of writing looks like, it's very unclear to me how you would know that the chat bot had improved your writing. So that's kind of the student piece. But I say the same thing when I'm advising people outside of school. You know, if you're if you're trying to figure out how to write some Right. I've helped my friends often ask me for help writing things like job cover letters. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're if you were to outsource that to the chat bot and you actually can't recognize whether that's a strong job cover letter, now is not the time to trust the chat bot. And we can talk a lot about why that is. I'm not I'm sure you've talked to other people about the actual technology, but you, you know, you, you can't assume that the chat bot is is fixing your writing. So I think people just need to really understand what they're doing when they're deciding to use a large language model for writing advice. Yeah, you know, because of the the probability like methods that it uses, um, and it doesn't really know what it's doing. It's just kind of based on math. Um, when, when working with kids, high school kids using chat GPT and some other programs and, and it's the end of the semester, I, I'm just reading final essays and reading whatnots, right? And I started last week. I asked them, like, can you explain what Chat GPT fixed or didn't fix? Like, and and to what degree? Because some kids are like, I don't know, it just sounds better, right? Yeah. And I, and it and it made me think about um, and these these are kids that are not, you know, not like they're they're good writers, but they're not particularly interested in writing, like, you know, getting better. So it's kind of like an, an easy way to do that. Um, but I started thinking about like at the beginning of the semester, I might, I might use it as a tool to help them like figure out where some of their problems are. But I started doing that and it wasn't accurately marking up their writing in a way that was useful. Like it was calling fragments and run-ons. Um, that it was, it was marking stuff that was fragment. That was a sentence that and it's called it a fragment because it couldn't determine subject or verb. Right. right? Um, and so it, it was, it was problematic in that it, it wasn't actually giving good feedback even though I'd written a prompt and used a program to like kind of keep them within that and, and analyze their pieces. And I was like, well, this isn't useful, but they think it is, which is, which is problematic. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I, th that's definitely, that's one of the problems. And then are you, are you allowing your students to use it to draft things or only to receive feedback? You know, it's, it's interesting. We, we, I, I've, some classes have, some haven't, some kids will try that, like for like, you know, lists for brainstorming. 
um, they have to, I had my sophomores submit like their, their entire chat GPT thread. Like I had them, I go, if you're going to use this, call it English two, right. And then title it and then just give me everything. Right. So, right. cause I was interested in how they're using it and some barely used it. It was almost like, because I asked them to, they did. Um, I think maybe one student out of 23 or 24 that I looked at today, like had a really interesting use of the tool, like had figured out, like she was, she was after trying to figure out how to do something. And, um, and, and that worked. Um, but as far as like drafting something, no, they're not doing a draft or they'll they're, like, they're, they're, they might be asking questions or I, I, yeah, they're, I, I, what I, what I figured out is I have to teach them how to use it and if they're going to use it in, in a way that's useful to them. But, but back to your point, they, they're unsure of what the output if, if whether the output is good or not, they just, they just kind of assume because there's not any mistakes. And it sounds like they think a paragraph is supposed to sound like that it's good. Or sometimes like my, my other, my, my kids that like are, are in like an AP course that may end up in your classroom at Harvard, they have a stronger sense of that wasn't very good. I can do better than that. And, you know, some of them are kind of yeah. like, I don't want to use this at all. So it, it, for us, it depends on the level. I guess I just, I, it's so interesting to hear sort of what, what all teachers at different levels are trying. I keep going back to what I ended up making the title of my course and what I had written about last December, right after ChatGPT was released, which is this question, what problem are we trying to mm -hmm. solve by mm -hmm. using this? And it seems often still the problem we're trying to solve is that this exists rather than a problem that we sort of that we've thought through and i'm not saying that that's what you're doing mike but i just know I'm, I'm laughing because it's true <laughs> and that may i mean it, it is a problem that we it have created to solve. a problem and that's what we're trying to solve but at the same time it's it it's also and i worry that this is passing us by all of us a bit this it it also we we reached this moment to think about okay so what do we really value in the writing process mm -hmm. and i mean i know what i value and i see it all the time with my students you start a draft and by the end of the draft you figured out something that you didn't know or didn't know you thought at the beginning of the draft and if you outsource that brainstorming or that early step or yep. even the brainstorming because the brainstorming is often where you figure out what you're interested in you know th this is how are we going to preserve that and and it's right. it's hard to know even now i mean i feel like i had this very small class where i'm pretty confident that my students came out seeing some value in, in that process but that doesn't scale the same way that conmigo scales you know? right. no <laughs> it doesn't it's it's a, it's slow it's like having a nice dinner like you sit down and and enjoy it um and then I, I, I often wonder if we are marking the wrong thing because, because as you said, like first year writing is really a critical thinking course, but no high school that I know of is, is, is looking, is like trying to like actually put on a transcript or in the grade book or assess because assessments in the rage, um, critical thinking. Right. But, but yet I, I'm constantly telling my students, I'm like, you, you have to learn how to think through this. Like we, we're, we're learning how to think. And if you don't have the thought, you can't produce the essay. You're going to produce something that's not, that has words, but it's not really anything. And so you, you, you get those moments where the product isn't very good, but the thought is really interesting. And I'm always kind yeah. of like, ah, I got to grade you on your writing though, but what a great thought. Um, we had a guest last week on that teaches history and he was kind of talking about, he can tell that there's kids that really have complex historical knowledge, but it doesn't come through in the writing. And he's like, but yet on the AP exam, they get 
they it looks like they don't know AP, AP US history, AP Euro, whatever it is, when he's like, really, they've got a really strong sense. And I know I'm a writing teacher, but I, I really struggle with that. Like, maybe we're, maybe I'm grading the wrong thing. Well, and this is part of what, what I, you know, ideally this cultural moment would have allowed us to think through a bit more. I spend a lot of time in my first year writing class uh, trying to help students see that this, this kind of somewhat formulaic style that they've learned for, and and I understand this, you know, for advanced placement tests, for other yep. reasons, that, that that's not really, that's not, that's often you can accomplish that without thinking. Now, some people do great thinking while they're doing it, but mm -hmm. they, my students are often frustrated that at the beginning of my course because they want to know what they're supposed to do. And my answer <laughs> is what you're supposed to do is have an idea, you know, have a yeah. question that you really care about, figure something out. And it doesn't really fit in a five paragraph essay. And we spend a lot of time at the beginning of the semester on this idea, like the, the questions that they often have for me are like, why, you know, I don't want to bring up a counter argument because then, you know, I might undermine my argument. Right. And right. I'm saying, well, if you, if that undermines your argument, then maybe it's not a very compelling argument, but that's not often what they were rewarded for doing that kind of risky, like complexity and something, or, you know, I say to them, every, every argument that you make doesn't have three points, you know, right. and there's this, you know, that maybe it, it's just, you know, thinking through these things is, is hard. And I think it's, it makes sense that they, revert to form. And there are good reasons why they're taught that to begin with. But I also, and this is a question I have for, for you. I also wonder, like, I do think that when students are really interested in something, it's a lot easier to do it. And I see that when my students get to their research papers, they have an easier time because we've spent a long time finding something that's really of interest to them personally. So the question about like using chat GPT, I feel like it's also a question of like, why wouldn't you use it? in in situations where you're not supposed to say if you're asking your students or someone's asking their students not to use it but they don't see any value right. in doing the writing themselves that seems like when they're going to use it yep. and so i think early on in this discussion there was a lot of talk about well could we just rethink you know how to make this work meaningful do you see any of that discussion happening at the high school level like rethinking in order to make writing and thinking more meaningful you know mike might be what uh, well, he can bring his own perspective for that. Um, I I think that that's really classroom or teacher dependent. Uh, I I'm not, I wouldn't necessarily say that that is something that's a major focus from what I've seen, um, departmentally or district wide. Um, yeah. Which is not to say if you were to bring it up, they wouldn't say, oh, yeah, of course we want that. But it's like, well, yeah, we know you want it, but is that something that's actually a priority or not? And you know, one thing that as the two of you are kind of going back and forth, that kind of crossed my mind. Uh, or, or that caught, caught my eye rather was uh, the word value, um, and then and I was thinking about how the the way that the systems that we've built um, seem to favor almost always favor uh, efficiency uh, and speed, um, and and that's not just simply just like with this you know with um, you know we want students to be able to kind of do things quicker right, but that also that we that as teachers we want to be able to grade faster. You know, and and I think that it comes at a cost, and part of that cost is taking time to slow down and start focusing more on process. Um, but I think when you bring up this idea of like the five paragraph essay, which we all way too familiar with, um, mm -hmm. you know, it is formulaic. But I think it's it's like that, not simply just because we're trying to give students a sense of like how to structure things, 
at the lower levels, and there's been a failure of trying to get them to, to kind of move away from that as they get older. But I think there's always this urge, or we instill almost this urge of the students that you have to get, you have to put something down and kind of move quickly. And like, we're just, we're just going and going and going, as opposed to, um, you know, slowing it down and, and really starting to meditate or reflect on these ideas and really and generate some, some, some nuance or at least new, new thoughts. I, I, I think that that's a cultural problem, just not within education solely, but you know, just kind of writ large. Uh, and I don't know how you track that because ChatGPT, as far as I can tell, is very much about speed and efficiency and doing things, you know, as quick as you can for some sort of competitive advantage. Whereas I don't think that writing, good writing really is about that. It's not about speed. It's about taking the time to cultivate in, in your, your own craft. Um, so, so that so back to your point though, or your question about, you know, are we, uh, looking at kind of trying to, you were talking about kind of like the meaningfulness, I think of, of writing, right. I, I think that teachers have to take the time to kind of really carve out and almost kind of protect that space and time. That's really hard. It sounds like you're finding some success at your level. I think Mike and I try to do it at ours, but it's really hard, especially when you've got multiple classes and, you, and things are moving left and right. And it's just, it's tough. Uh, but uh, I don't know, Mike, you, you look like you're yeah. over well, there. You're so I think, I think a lot of writing horizon or something. <laughs> uh, I, I, what'd you say? You look, you had this look like you're looking off into the horizon. Oh, I'm thinking, I'm trying to keep all my thoughts together. I, I like it's the think, end of the semester. I see freedom. Yeah, and I keep on thinking I should take notes during the show and I never do. And then I try to try to remember the, the points, but um, I, I think writing and secondary um, probably even like in middle school, I think a lot of writing that is done that kids have to do is a way of finding out what they know about a subject. So it's like writing for what they call assessment or, you know, writing to show the teacher what you know. And so that right there doesn't have much exigence um, for the, the, the reason why you do something like the real reason. So then if the teacher just really wants to know about, you know, topic X and, you know, and what you know in a couple of points, then there's your five paragraph essay. Because they're not reading it for writing, they're reading it right. for information. So I think the essay is used a lot as a as a tool to to find out what a student knows. And then there's the writing. I think you're talking about Jane, which is like writing like to essay to find out what you know, right? The writing the to French learn, term, yeah, right. And yeah. and so I I think because most of the writing that happens is to to find out what kids know, not what they you know what not what they want to write about. You, you get that five paragraph form, which is a super efficient mechanism for you tell me what you know about, name the book, name the poem, name the whatever, which really, if, if you're writing an essay about a book or a poem, it should be you're trying to figure something out. But oftentimes it's just an assessment tool. Like the AP test is like that, like do an analysis of this, a rhetorical analysis of that. Like can I write an argument, do a synthesis, show us that you can do synthesis. Mm -hmm. um, and then, there, then there's also like what, I, I think it's true. Like whenever a kid, has something to say i get the most amazing essays like i have stuff that literally just blows me away that i'm i'm like this could be published right i mean just really good pieces that i'm just it's just wonderful to read um and and but then the next essay they write they don't quite have that because we have it's a it's a class that we're doing other stuff and so i think sometimes it's a very tall order to expect a young human to always get totally invested in a writing assignment to say something right um and, and if you think about a kid in high school they've got eight semesters of english right we're going to learn writing that means that eight times that they're supposed to somehow eight times just well eight semesters like let's say they do three essays 
a semester is 24 times they have to have something to say from the ages of 14 to 18. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a tall order, I think, you know, and so so maybe 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 we're doing something wrong (laughs) no i mean i think all of that makes a lot of sense and it just makes me think we need to be thinking about sort of then why why would why would someone not just turn to chat gpt and if if you're asking someone to write because you want to know what they know then that sounds like for a good reason for you to not want them to just go and generate the whole thing with right. chat gpt but i do think that um this this is a moment where we we have to be thinking about that because what i'm afraid we're going to lose if it just becomes all writing is written kind of in partnership with the chat bot are those moments where someone has something to say i'm a very i'm sort of an overly idealistic writing teacher but i do feel like that <laughs> there's there's value in this process that i see where you know you you realize something that you didn't know before and the way you got there was through your writing and i guess what i don't know i don't have an answer to this question is what's going to happen if we get to the point where by the time someone gets to college or gets out of college they've not had those experiences you know what what happens our ideas, or if you're always writing in partnership, as they're calling it, or in collaboration with your Microsoft Copilot or whatnot, mm-hmm. you know, it, that's not the same thing. And and I think I guess what what I keep coming back to is there's this sense of inevitability that I I don't know. I mean, I guess I do know how we got there. You know, we always seem to have that with technology, but it's right. like that from the beginning, it's it's out there people are going to use it so people should use it and yet i think these conversations are really important it's not inevitable exactly how people are going to use this and how how it's going to be taught in schools and and what decisions are going to be made and as i'm sure you've talked about with your many other guests who know a lot more about this than i do it's also not very good at many things and so this this idea that it's just suddenly you know it's it's your writing partner is something that i think we need to slow down and really think through yeah part i think part of part of that equation too is that there's so many adults that are using it for work that i'll hear you know i'll talk to students and we're very open about talking about ai um and and you know one sophomore was, was saying well my mom and dad are saying they use this all the time for work yeah <laughs> and i go yeah they are and, and you will too like six years from now but right now we're learning how to write <laughs> you know like like that that's that's what we're doing you know um, but there, there's that piece too. And, and then it reminds me of, I read, a, it was a, I don't know if it's on Twitter, if it was on an essay I wrote some, I read somewhere, but someone, someone in the business world was kind of lamenting that now they're getting all these like very polite, long email responses from people at, at work. And, and they go, sometimes I just want someone to say, um, that's BS. Stop doing yeah. that. But instead, he is yeah. like, we get a multi-paragraph essay very politely telling me that my idea is not very good. And here's, you know, and, and the person's like, the communication's worse, right? Right. And then what you're going to use your uh, Microsoft Copilot or your Google whatever to to summarize that really long email back down to a sentence that just says it's BS, right? Right. <laughs> so there's going to have this whole process going on. And, it, you know, I think there's something what what's it going to be like to be in that world where you're not actually communicating with humans all day? I mean, I, I don't want to be in that world. Pat, do you? Well, no, I'm thinking you know, <laughs> what you're both making me think about is in, in some ways, and, and I'm obviously they're not exactly the same, but they're 
similar, I'm thinking about the way in which even just, um, you, you know, the phone has evolved, right? Back in the day when, when we were all growing up, uh, that, you know, the internet was not so, or texting wasn't a thing. And so talking on the phone was, you know, there was some skill and art to that, but people would just, you know, people did it. Not that everyone liked to do it, but like, you know, it was something that, that happened. And the texting has kind of eroded that to the point that people won't even pick up their phone anymore. Um, but we all have had those conversations, those text threads where like miscommunication happens all the time. Mike and I do this all the time. And it drives me nuts uh, because I can interpret things in several different ways. And he thinks he's saying one thing. I'm like, but I'm reading mm-hmm. it this other way. I don't know what's going on. And then you might and if you just picked up the phone, yeah, yeah. And, just right. it, and, it, and it and it would save so much kind of emotional sort of anguish or struggles or whatever. Um, and and so it, in some respects, yeah, the ChatGPT I think can maybe the same can can uh, elicit the same kind of problems that we've found texting already. Um, but um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, I I think that um, you know, I, I Matt, Mike's heard me kind of use this point maybe ad nauseum over the course of this podcast. <laughs> But um, there, there is always a part of me that that recognizes maybe like Eugene, I am also maybe a bit too idealistic. Although, I think in recent years, I think I'm getting more kind of just pragmatic and practical. But um, that when it comes to writing, that students genuinely want to have or they want to develop their own voice to some extent. Now, I think that you both got to bring up this idea of uh, really ownership in the writing, and if you can create parameters whereby they can buy in that changes everything. And so that doesn't mean that they wouldn't use ChatGPT. It just means that they're maybe less likely or they're going to be very strategic with how they use it rather than just kind of wholesale, just throw something together and move on. Um, Because I think people do take pride in trying to figure out how to say things in the way that they just want to say them, uh, irrespective of what other people think. And I think that's great. I think that's that should be encouraged. Um, but but we have to obviously, of course, provide the spaces for it. It's just It's just difficult because of all the time constraints that we have. Um, you know, we, we, we're lucky, gosh, Mike knows this more than anyone. We're lucky to get 50 minutes, uh, you know, a day throughout the, throughout the, yeah. I mean, I, even that, even our time in the classroom has been whittled down through, uh, schedule changes and modifications. Um, you know, you've got announcements, you've got, I mean, there's just so many distractors and so many things that make it really, really hard to give students just time to sit and kind of be present and to just kind of think. Um, and it's it's frustrating. Um, uh, you know, I, I guess I, I feel and this is the really idealistic part of me. I feel like coming into my classroom to me, it's 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 almost like a, it should be we should. I, I wish we could treat it more like a temple in the sense of like it's a place to kind of reflect, meditate and, and really kind of ponder and wonder. But with all the different kind of things going on, it's just it's next to impossible to kind of create that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't mean that you don't try. It just means that it's really, really hard to to make that work. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily, uh, answering anything. It just, it's just kind of my thoughts there. Can I, can I ask a style question, Pat yep. and, and Jane both or, or voice question writer's voice. Um, because there's like the, the, the writing voice versus the voice you speak with. And, and sometimes when I, when I read a student's words on a page, what they don't have control of is like the like the visual parameters that kind of like delineate how you're supposed to read their piece and sometimes one that's like very snarly when i hear them read it out loud in their voice it sounds just like them like kind of like their verbal voice and so they have a voice but in in writing we squash that one sometimes right because it's not 
it's not the the written word voice, like the essay voice, which is which is different. And then I think about like social media use and the voice that and the play with language and and the emojis, I guess. Um, and uh, Jane, if I have to, I'll repeat. I see your audio is breaking up, um, but I'm just I just kind of like we when we say you know a student wants to find their voice. I, I'm 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 kind of sometimes I get stumped as I go. I think a lot of them do have their voice. It's just that we want them to find their their writing voice. Um, Jane, did you catch? I was uh, I was removed and came back. Um, oh we were talking about voice. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So I, I think I didn't shorten up. I go. So so we we as writing teachers we talk about voice a lot and we're writing voice, and um, I, I think it, it seems to me that students already oftentimes have their voice, like in their in their their texting and their social media and the stuff they write back and forth to each other. And when we say that we want them to find their voice, it's almost like we're kind of wanting them to find their essayist writing voice, which I think is different. Um, and so I, I wonder if sometimes we're kind of like kind of squashing that capacity because we're trying to make them into like essayist voices, because in the end you have to grade something, right? And if it if if it doesn't read in the way that we, you know, they're they're being trained, I guess, to, to write, then it's not very good, but it works with their group and peers. So what 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 are your thoughts on 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 kids and voice and writing and so I think this is so interesting because I spend a lot of time trying to help my first year students stop writing in an overly formal, overly flowery way that seems to have uh, served them well on standardized tests and right. in other contexts. And it's they they often don't believe me at first when I say, you know, it's okay actually to just be clear and to to not be so formal and to not um, try to sound like someone you're not. So in a certain sense, their voice, their speaking voice is much more um, true to their perspective and who they are at the age of 18 than this other voice they've right. been learning. And what I often notice is that when they when they have authority about something, so say by the time we get to write a research paper and they know more about the thing they're talking about than I do, and if yep. that's the case, I always let them know that you know, they they can start to just write with confidence in a voice that sounds much more like them. Um, I, I don't know. I, I feel like we people, when they talk about finding your voice, um, often mean very different things. And to me, I think it often just goes along with finding out that you have something to say. So I, I guess I'm less concerned about this this question of like, the formality or informality of the voice and more concerned with this idea of do you have you figured out what you care about and what you want to say mm -hmm. which seems to just then feed into this idea of voice one of the things that i say to my students at the beginning of every semester is um i tell them a story about something that happened to me when i was working at the atlantic many years ago um the head of the fact checking department asked me a question about something that I was fact checking. And I said, I'm not sure. And this was something that was going to go into the Atlantic magazine. Mm -hmm. And she said, uh, if you're going to put your name on this, don't you want to know if it's true? And I was very taken aback, right? Of course <laughs> I do. And I was only putting my name on it in the sense that I was signing off on it as, as the fact checker. But but I say to my students, like, there's there's got to be some connection. 
Like if you're going to put your name on this paper, you should think it, whatever it is, even if it's not something that you care about so much, right? Sometimes, as as I think Mike was saying earlier, sometimes you're just doing an assignment and I'm, I can't promise you that you're going to care about every assignment. Right. But if you're going to write something and put your name on it, why not make it something that you could actually stand behind that if someone said, what do you think about X, that would be what you thought. And I think that that's not often what they're used to doing by the time they get to me. What they're used to doing is, saying the thing that they think they should say mm -hmm. um, to get a five on the AP or to do whatever else they're being asked to do. And I do think that when you write something that you think you should say, you're often writing it in a voice that doesn't feel very true to your voice and sounds uncomfortable. And when you're writing something that you actually think, I mean, I'm not saying it's magic. It's not like you magically become a really strong writer just because right. you're writing something you think. But I think in terms of this question of formality, informality, sort of sounding like sounding like you, it's because you have something to say. Yeah, well, you're speaking to that idea of authenticity, right? That the, like to yeah. what extent is what they're writing an authentic thought or idea? Um, as opposed to maybe putting on airs and trying to impress somebody, um, you know, yeah, whether it's for the grade or whatever. Uh, and, and I think that that's a significant issue that, uh, that all educators need to think through in terms of when they're developing their assignments um, or their coursework. Like, what actually are you trying to have them do? Or do you just want them to, uh, as Mike was kind of uh, suggesting before, just kind of write in a way that sounds really academic? Uh, or is there a better approach? Right? Is there an approach that's going to be much more meaningful and, and will elicit or, or, or rather kind of be more likely to generate really novel ideas and novel kind of thoughts and, and really kind of fresh content? Uh, and I think that th that that's a, a serious question that I think that too often because, you know, I, I think uh, and I don't know if Mike agrees with this, although I suspect he might. I think that there's a perception with a lot of high school teachers um, and probably middle school, I, I assume, but certainly high school teachers where we we have our own impressions of what we think is wanted or uh, what, what college professors want to see, so to speak. So we're trying to kind of play to that, too. And I, I guess it's, it's refreshing to hear from you, especially because you have a first year writing course, right? Uh, right. That that you're trying to kind of some of the things you're saying, I've said almost identical things. I'm like, oh, this is actually helpful. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. um, you know, when we're thinking about what is it that a freshman in college would, or, or what, what would like a, a, a teacher at your, in your position, you know, having freshman level students really like to see students bring to the table when they get to you, like what, what, what would be beneficial for us to focus on as high school teachers, uh, whether it's, you're talking about values or skills or whatever, uh, in regards to writing that you think would actually be like, hey, if you could focus on like these things, this would be great. That just that, you know, these one, two, three or four things would be wonderful shifts. Um, so we get more, get students in, in a place where when they come to you, they're more likely or better off than maybe they have been. I mean, first of all, I should just say, I think your job is very hard and much harder than mine. And I would never want to presume to suggest that there's anything I know about how you should do your job. I think, um, I think there's a lot of structural things that seem to determine how high school English works that have a lot to do with what, what you're being asked to prepare students for, for standardized tests, for college essays, that sort mm. of thing. I guess I can I can speak to some things that I that I think my students often are surprised about when they get to college writing. And I don't know, that doesn't mean that they didn't hear about them in high school, but right. they didn't retain sure. them in some right. way. 
one of the things that I that I see over and over again is that a lot of my students have really not had the opportunity or taken the opportunity to think about a reader, <laughs> a real reader who might actually be interested in what they have to say and would need things to be written in a way that would help that reader understand why mm -hmm. what they have to say matters. And I think this goes along with this whole idea. So one of the, step back for a minute, one of the main things that I think I'm teaching in a first year writing class is this idea that um, when you're making an argument, you are also trying to explain to your reader why anyone should care about that mm -hmm. argument. So we sometimes call that the so what question or mm -hmm. something along those lines. <laughs> but my students often, I think, don't they that's the thing that feels new or difficult for them, even if they've done it before, because they, they still see it as an exercise. They're not really seeing it as an actual human reader should care about this argument. And it's hard, right? Because realistically, you know, I'm the only human reader who's going to read most of these mm -hmm. arguments. But but at the same time, I think it's 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 this kind of like idea that writing's not a hoop to jump through or that writing can be something other than a hoop to jump through. It can be a way of bringing yourself and a reader to a new understanding. Now, realistically, that's not what most of my high school writing was like. I don't exactly know how you could do that in every writing assignment in high school. I always give my students an example of like the papers I remember writing were like, there were three causes of the Civil War you know, and then there was a paragraph for each right. cause. And, you know, but I, I have the luxury at the college level. I say no one needs to read that paper. That doesn't mean that no one needs to write that paper, but no one needs to read that oh, paper. Right. So yeah. let's think about, you know, what what when we're we always start with questions. Let's try to come up with questions that actually kind of don't have one answer. Mm -hmm. And then that, even if it's something that, you know, I'm not promising that anyone else needs to read every paper that my students write, but if there's a genuine question that has multiple answers, they can genuinely explore which answer they think is the answer, which just hearing you talk earlier, I understand is kind of, you know, might be at odds with much of what you need to do, which is to assess whether students have learned things. You know, maybe they're not always able to be assessed on things that have multiple answers. But I guess this goes along with the second thing. So the audience thing and then the counter argument thing, the idea that people, real people might disagree with you and that it's your responsibility to decide whether you actually turn out to agree with them. In other words, bring up that counter argument. Don't hide it right. because you're afraid it will undermine your argument. That's like a game, right? But in real life, you consider that counter argument and you maybe you change your mind and that's mm -hmm. fabulous. And then you're writing a different paper. But that's often another thing that's just not that familiar to my right. students. Okay. And the other thing we spend a lot of time on is just how do you, you know, if it's not five paragraphs, what is it? What does it look like? And I'm sure that's very similar, just in a different right. way to, to what you all do. So, so you are yeah, finding a good number of five paragraph essays then, huh? So, well, it's not possible to, I mean, unless they're really long paragraphs, it's not yeah. possible to write like a five paragraph, six page essay. So, that happens, though. you know, they'll try though. You get the two page, the two page paragraph, you know, and you're like, well, I don't know. It's, it's about, I mean, I think what it is, is that I'll see that early in the semester before we kind of open up how complex an argument can be. Right. And once the argument is more complicated, then it becomes clear that you can't just do five paragraphs. But it's 
it, they often, I feel like they're skeptical of this idea that, that there's no new formula, that instead mm-hmm. your ideas need mm-hmm. to determine the formula. And maybe that's really what's going on. I feel like this is what, what my own experience was between high school and college is maybe not, not being able to see that writing isn't a formulaic thing or doesn't have yeah. to be. And I mean, for me, obviously with the career trajectory I've taken, I've found that marvelous. I was really excited that writing wasn't a formulaic thing. But even for people who aren't that interested in writing, I, I do think it opens things up in a different way. Yeah, it's the, we, we, we get we get some of that with our juniors and seniors where you can start really kind of saying, um, there's a lot of ways to do this, right? Yeah. Um, and some kids really struggle. Like they will, no matter what, it's going to go in five paragraphs. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, seriously, I was, I was joking, but like a two-page paragraph because it has to be, you know, it's like, what do you, yeah. just hit enter. Just give me a break. I don't, <laughs> I, 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 sometimes I'll, I'll just, just, you know, I have a projector. I'll, I'll just put their papers up there and I'll go, I don't want to read this two-page paragraph or, and I'm like, just divide it, you, you, you know. But I think for them, it's 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 shoving their, they're trying to shove everything into the form that they think they're supposed to have. And some of them, it, it, I think it's, they just, they don't know where they're, they don't understand that they're they have a big enough thought that it needs to be divided in three sections, even though it's the same thought, right? Because they're complex enough. Um, yeah. For years, I've been trying to help kids just accept that there's three parts: there's openings, there's stuff in the middle, and there's closings. Hmm. Yeah. Right. And I, I was like, it happens in books, in movies, in restaurants, in your life, <laughs> you know. And so you're really, it's, it's, you know, how much stuff do you need in the middle to make your point? And that sometimes gets some legs and sometimes it, it, it kind of undermines some kids because then they're like, oh, so I can just have three paragraphs. I'm like eh, you can, if you need it, you know, um, <laughs> one paragraph with three sentences in it. Right. right. Or sometimes, you know, <laughs> one sentence paragraph, you know, um, but, but, yeah, also, just, but it requires like developing a certain level of trust with the student, right? Uh, so that they feel like they can take those rest, risks. Like from our vantage point, they're not particularly big risks. But for them, especially when they feel like their grade's always on the line, uh, it, it can feel like a bigger risk for them. Um, and I think that that's important to try to find ways to reinforce that messaging, but then also follow through with, you know, when we're assessing and say, well, okay, you did this. Great. I, I love the attempt. You know, is it something that they're going to be hammered for? Or yeah. you can applaud them for, for giving it a shot and trying to be like, okay, yeah, it kind of sort of worked, but like, let's try it again, you know? And as opposed to just saying, no, here's a definitive grade and here's like your C. It's like, well, that's, that's probably going to defeat them, I would think, more than anything else. So, but I, I think that cultivating those relationships really matters for, for, for engendering some sense of kind of, you know, uh, trust in, in them kind of trying new things out. Uh, you know, so. Something I have the luxury of doing is that um, I'm able to ask my students to do a draft and then get feedback from me and do a revision for every assignment. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of ungraded risk taking that can mm-hmm. go on in that context. The other thing that's different for me is that in addition to all the the lofty ideals about figuring out what you think, I'm also preparing students to write papers for their other college courses. Which which are across many disciplines and look very different from each other. And so one of the things that we're really focused on is this kind of versatility, you know, what's always true about good writing and how are you going to be flexible enough to meet new expectations and conventions in, in other fields. So we're not, you know, our, our writing courses are not in the English department. It's an interdisciplinary uh, program and, and we're thinking about writing across disciplines. 
that that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I imagine most uh, students benefit from from that because they're going to be bouncing in different fields. So, Mike, we're it's, it's an advanced version of answering a question, really, for for a course, right? Mm -hmm. I think we lost Jane again. We may have. Let's see. Are you back? You're back. Yeah. I time warp. Oops. Okay. <laughs> you can shut your sorry uh, about this. I don't usually have this problem. Yeah, you can but... shut your camera off if you want. Would that help? That might help. Yeah. That. Yeah. We've had we've had quite the weather here these past couple of days. Mm. So I don't know what, what the instability is about, but I hope that you'll be able to edit through that. We'll figure it out, I'm sure. We'll figure it. <laughs> Mike will figure it out. <laughs> Something. <laughs> Um, so we're we're up on forty minutes. So I, I think probably or, a good place. Yeah, forty, just over forty-five. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so Jane, um, is there? Do you have any any last thoughts you want to uh, maybe tell the English teachers out there or the people listening that are interested in AI and the writing? Um, well, to the English teachers, I just want to thank you for everything you're doing. This can't have been an easy year. Um, in terms of AI. I just I hope that we're going to be able to continue to think in terms of what what would be effective uses of of this technology that would enhance critical thinking and learning in the face of what I think is an incredible challenge, which is just that people are going to be drawn to using it for all kinds of things. One of the things I've been thinking a lot about is how it might be used in sort of writing adjacent uh, projects. So the research process, for example, and thinking there's there's many ways that I think that uh, future versions of, of chatbots or sort of uh, new new products that are built based on ChatGPT might yeah. be able to help in really effective ways that save teachers time and also potentially maybe make the research process more interesting. And so that's an example of something that I think might be worth talking and thinking about more. Uh, at this point, I, I am still worried about people just feeding papers into chat GPT and asking for feedback. It seems very uh, problematic in a variety of ways. Yeah, low level. Well, so it turns out there there is hope still that, that this, <laughs> this technology um, has has some good, but there's there's also still the worry. And there's there's a um, I think this this episode has outlined this shift from the extreme like kind of generalized worry. To now the more like nuts and bolts like how do how do we work within and without this system and how does it actually impact um our students and our society really you know and our critical thinking um so jane thank you very much for coming on the show we really um, appreciate you taking the time out of your day at the end of the semester and and talking with us thanks um, for having me it was great to meet you both if you want to hear more from Jane, you can check out her Writing Hacks Substack newsletter. You can sign up for that. We'll post the links on, um, on our site and in the notes. Um, this is the Bot Brothers AI for Educators. I'm Mike Pearson. I'm Pepper. And as always, if you enjoyed this show, please like it, share it, spread the word. Uh, check out Pat's Facebook page, our Twitter account. Let us know if you want to be a guest on the show or if you know someone who would be a guest. Um, thank you all. Have a great day. Bye-bye.